Star Trek, our favorite frontier. These are the podcasts of Aaron and Polly, their ongoing mission to explore all things Trek, to seek out cool things and pick them apart, to boldly complain as no one's complained before. And this is Paul. And welcome to Short Treks with Aaron and Polly. What? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's it's Star Trek, it's Short Treks. Oh, oh yeah, I see yeah. what you did there, I see what you did there. Yeah, yeah. Now, so our goal with this program, Aaron, and I didn't bring this up. Is to be short. <laughs> is to be shorter than the Short Trek that we are discussing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I was looking at a review of it uh, this morning, and I swear to God that the review of the episode was longer than the actual uh, episode itself. You know, the Short Trek dropped last night as we record this, uh, I want to say 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern, on your uh, CBS All Access, for those of you who, who partake of such things here in the States. Um, I, I, I continue to be dumbfounded by the way that CBS drops their content. The yeah, arbitrary why not drop it at midnight or you know the night yeah. before. That seems it's the, dropping it at nine thirty. Just it goes to show you like the whole point is that people want to watch it whenever they want. Right. So you know dropping it at nine thirty like a regular television program just kind of silly. Yeah, it just well it seems like it really screws the East Coast side who might want to watch it before they go to work the following morning before they get spoiled by uh, media such as ours. Um, <laughs> I, I find that really bizarre and just sort of a holdover from traditional television programming. I, I really need CBS to break free from that because, you know, as someone who watches it and then podcasts about it, it's kind of a huge pain in the ass to have to, to, to coordinate. Well, when the hell does this thing drop since it's not going to drop at midnight? Like, for instance, Netflix does. And if yeah. I'm if I'm CBS All Access, I'd look at, hey, you know, Netflix has kind of figured this out. That's working for them. People seem to like it. Why not do the same thing? Yeah, you would think so. And, you know, CBS, it's not like there's a lot of Star Trek Discovery podcasts out there. Like, I'm just saying. We're just asking. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if it's a pain in the ass for anybody else, but it was certainly a pain in the ass for me. Uh, but I did manage to watch it twice this morning before I uh, went to work. And, oh, by the way, in case you're uh, one of our managers, we are recording this on our lunch breaks today. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you watched it. You did it twice before going to work, Aaron. I did. I did it twice before I, before I went to work. Um, this, this episode, Runaways, features uh, newly uh, credentialed Ensign Tilly uh, in sort of a two-woman show. You know her and yeah. uh, the 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 runaway in question that uh, that appears. Um, overall, what was your uh, what was your opinion of, of the show, Paul? Did you, did, did were, were you happy to see some brand new Star Trek Discovery on your TV show on your TV well, set? Of course, I was happy, and it's a welcome return to to a series that I had really started enjoying in this in the latter half of its first season. I do have a couple of thoughts. 
before I get to an overall, you know, uh, feeling about the episode. One is something you mentioned about it being a two woman show. These short treks are like, it's funny because they feel very obviously like filler, uh, because there ain't no one on that ship. Like there's one, there's one shot where like four people walk through a door, but in general, it, well, there's two, there's two shots, right? There's the opening shot where oh, everyone's yeah. clearing out the cargo deck because uh, shift five is either ending or starting. I forget which. And everybody just, you know, they're in the middle of doing work and they all leave, right? Yeah. And then you have the other thing, hey, the new shift is about to come on and folks start entering in the mess hall. But yeah, otherwise, you, you get the sense that it's sense that it's very late at night, right? Shipboard yeah. time. And that uh, most everyone who is not on deck doing work is crashed out because it's late. Yeah. But that being said, the preview for the next episode, which premieres in November, very much like it's a dude who wakes up on the Star Trek Discovery and there's no one on board. Like, I, I get it. They wanted to do something on the cheap, <laughs> but <laughs> it feels like there's more people on this ship. Um, so that was just something for me. Like, it, it felt a little it, – it was just a teeny bit obvious in this one that Tilly was, like, the only one in every room that she went into. Um, but when they advertised the next episode, I'm like, hmm – well, there, there's certainly a meta thing involved here where we understand that these programs are produced on the cheap, right? So, I, you know, I, I understand there's not going to be a lot of visual effects. There's not going to be a lot of a lot of characters. Plus, if you, the more char- characters you crowd in, the less story you're going to get to push in 10 to 15 minutes, which is the length of these short tracks. But, you know, that said, Paul, you, you know, you, you talked about how the – the ship felt rather empty. I would say that was the way I felt through the the entirety of season one. Yeah, you had more people on the bridge and on the ship than you saw here, but it still felt like, you know, we haven't met everybody. Like, for instance, we never met the chief engineer. We met an engineer, right, Stamets, but we never met the chief engineer in season one. We never met the chief medical officer in season one. We met Hugh, uh, Stamets' boyfriend, friend but he wasn't the chief medical officer you know so I I, I I will say that discovery has always felt a little lean in terms of its staff yeah true maybe that's the point maybe it's a tight maybe. ship yeah, I, I, um, maybe so uh as to the point of the episode well speaking of lean things i felt the episode was very lean mm-hmm. yeah yeah i get it it's a 15 minute thing i get that they are um they are constricted by time, and I I understand. They are literally just trying to bridge the gap to keep Star Trek Discovery on people's minds during the time of year in which it was on people's mind last year uh, to get ready for season two. However, I, I would almost prefer something more seen as a prequel to season two than this. And not that it was bad, I just felt it was very cute. It was cute. It felt like it felt like uh, you know the 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 ten pager story that I'd get in a one of those Star Trek uh, anthology books because there's really not there's not a lot of meat on that those bones. It's you know it's a, it's a cute story with a good message and um, you know I, I I do like the actress who plays Tilly. I, I think she is uh, that, that's, she's uh, fun TV's to watch. Mary, that's TV's Mary Wiseman. Ah yes yes. Yeah. Um, I think she is fun to watch, um, and I, I appreciate that this episode had a bit more humor, especially in her interactions with the alien. Um, there's just not a, there just wasn't a lot of depth to it. 
you know, I, 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 it feels like, you know, lean is the term. You know, there's a lot that, that's trimmed away, uh, to, to make this episode fit into its 15 minute format. I will say I've seen, you know, Next Generation, for instance, pad an episode and essentially take the meat of what we have here and stretch it into, you know, 51 minutes. Um, you know, the, the only thing that's missing here is a B story in, in certain episodes of, uh, of, uh, Next Generation. I, I think, I think that the show will work. You know, it tells the story of a, an alien who, you know, stows away onto the Discovery, is found by, uh, uh, Ensign Tilly, who's kind of going through some, some of her own things. She, she starts off the episode, uh, talking to her mom via hollow mail and, you know, mom's a little rough with her. It does feel like in that moment that we stepped, uh, Ensign Tilly back to where she was before the end of season one. Uh, it felt like she, she had some confidence issues that, that I felt like she overcame towards the end of, of season one. So I found that a little confusing in terms of the continuity of the character. But, you know, I, well, I, I think we don't, that, we, that, you know, the continuity of the episode isn't actually established, right? Like we don't know when uh, there, this takes place. Well, we know that it takes place after she makes Ensign, right? Oh, because she was promoted to Ensign at the end of season one. So we know it takes place, uh, after that. We just don't know if it takes place prior to, uh, Discovery encountering, encountering Enterprise. But that said, um, no, good point. you know, I, I, I think that we all sort of, you know, uh, uh, progress and regress from time to time. So even though we may have dealt with an issue, sometimes we may have to deal with it again. And that's fine. It, it, it wasn't, it wasn't too hard to deal with. It just felt like we were, we were meeting more of early season one Tilly than late season one Tilly. Um, but that said, I am going to complain about something because it just wouldn't be Star Trek with Aaron and Polly if I didn't complain about something. Um, but I, I do want to preface it by saying that I really liked this episode. Uh, but the thing that I will complain about is that the special effects employed with uh, the alien, whose name is Mihani Ikahali Kapo, or Poe for short, uh, played by uh, actress Yadira Guevara Prip, whose real name is almost as complicated as her alien name. Uh, we'll just call her Prip. Um, <laughs> she uh, uh, is rather like a movie predator, you know, from the 20th Century Fox films. You know, she's got that a lot of that clicking going on and the very wet, gurgly sorts of sounds. Um, so when you first have a hint of her, when you see her, you know, almost transparent arm coming out of the storage container at the beginning of the episode – you're really given to believe, holy shit, you know, this is bad news, right? And then she cuts her hand on the rough edge of the uh, cargo pod, and, you know, you, you've you got the glow-in-the-dark amber sort of blood uh, that she leaves. You know, oh, this is bad news. Well, and then the minute the uh, universal translator is engaged, all of the predator noises go away, and she just talks like a normal person. Which is, you know, I, on the one hand, I'm fine with because that's kind of the effect we get with, uh, with most aliens when the universal translator is engaged. But it, it seemed that, you know, I couldn't find any good reason for her to be acting so scary. Like, for instance, her interaction with the replimat where, you know, every sort of food is flying out in the computers, you know, you know, calling out chicken pot pie, chicken Kiev, chicken cacciatore, snacks, snacks, snacks. Um, 
I don't understand, other than for comedy purposes, why someone who is as intelligent as the character clearly is and as technologically savvy, you know, who claims I, I built that universal translator when I was nine years old. Why in the world would she be having such an interaction with the replimat technology? That didn't make any sense to me. Well, and on top of that, you know, why is she so primal? Right. Yeah. Uh, you know, she she's clearly very intelligent, you know, and to your point about the universal translator, I normally don't have an issue with it, but she basically switches straight up to American English. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, slang, sarcasm, everything like, you know, once that universal translator kicks in, she becomes a different yeah, person. She's she's normal teenager at that point. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, so, the, I on the one hand, I understand the shorthand that they employed with sort of the predator special effects, um, you know, because they wanted it to seem spooky at first. Clearly, I mean, like, it immediately changes from spooky when you get that upshot as Tilly kind of stands up from the deck and looks up, and you have that impression that whatever is cloaked is standing right over her. I, that's, that's a very intimidating sort of power pose. You're like, oh, crap, you know. It, it, this looks really bad for Tilly. And then all of a sudden it switches to pure on comedy. And I'm fine with that. And I, I think I'm even fine with the shorthand that's employed because they don't have a lot of time to establish uh, things that you're not familiar with, right? We all understand the code of, of, of a predator, right? Um, but you never – we don't know if that's technology. We don't know if that's bioorganic. We don't know. We don't know what that is, right? Uh, and it seemed ill-fitting. It seemed it seemed not to jibe with the rest of what we've got. Now, I will, I will agree. I was amused at her fascination with ice cream. I was also amused that she just randomly picked a burrito up off the floor. I think, how many times have you been in that situation, Paul, where you've randomly picked a burrito up off the floor and eaten it? I mean, we've all had those nights. We've all had those nights. (laughs) (laughs) Brett Kavanaugh, for instance. Anyway, um, I I think that it's a a fantastic performance by Mary Wiseman. Uh, There is a moment where she is in front of the replimat and she's ordering her quadruple espresso, and the replimat's giving her crap about that. Yeah, so we're not really you know advising this, and she just says it with a look, you know, her her disgust for the replimat. Uh, I, I love it. I mean, she she is such a physical and nuanced actor in, in the manner in which she performs. I just, I love seeing her on the screen. I, I think she, there is a reason why they went with her as the first character uh, to build their uh, short trek around. And that's because number one, she is adored by discovery fans. And, and I'm sorry, Mary Wiseman just act acts the hell out of a scene. Uh, I am super impressed with her abilities. Yeah. So it was fun. Like I said, I mean, I, I for me, and maybe we'll get more of this in the upcoming ones. I was hoping that these would be more prequels to season two, hints at what's to come. But this one, and maybe this is. I she think this, this is. Maybe, maybe we'll revisit um, Poe's planet. Yeah, I, I think we're. I, I, I would be very surprised if we don't uh, pay another visit to Zahia, uh, where uh, Poe is the queen there. It would not surprise me that that dilithium crystal that she gives uh Tilly at the end of the episode does somehow come into play. Um I think that we'll get to enjoy some some sort of, you know, interesting dialogue on the bridge when she wants to talk only to Tilly instead of the captain or first officer. Um but you know at the end of the day, this was a girl show. 
this was an episode between two strong female characters. And I just want to highlight how far we've come in Star Trek, because those were always my least favorite episodes in Next Generation, because anytime you had an episode that was, uh, with rare exceptions, uh, anytime you had an episode that was geared around Deanna Troy or uh, Dr. Crusher, those were always really awkward. And, it was, and I attribute it to the fact that those were a writer's room full of men who didn't know what women sound like. Um, I got to tell you, I, I, I loved this episode from beginning to end, despite my little quibbles. I thought that it was fantastic. I think that we've got a gold mine there in Mary Wiseman uh, and her character, uh, Ensign Tilly. I keep wanting to call She'll always be the cadet of my heart, Paul. Always be the cadet of my heart. <laughs> Yeah, so next up is Calypso, uh, I think November 5th. Am I correct? Yeah. Remembering that right? So, uh, uh, yes, that is correct. November 5th. That's so what almost, I saw today. Okay, so almost a month uh, to the day, or I guess a little bit over a month to the day from this episode, um, as we build towards season two of Star Trek Discovery and season two ish of Star Trek with Aaron and Polly. You know, yeah, what um, a deal. Yeah, we, we still we, owe you guys the second half of that episode of Enterprise. It'll happen, I promise. No, no, we're breaking that yeah. promise. No, it's gonna, it's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. I need to we rewatch should... it. It's been so long. <laughs> Same here. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if you've got a question, comment, concern, give us a shout. Uh, the Ideology of Madness hotline is 972-763-5903. That number, once again, 972-763-5903. And if we use your voicemail on the air, you win a coveted, valuable, Ideology of Madness surprise. All right, folks. All right. Well, hey, live right. long and prosper. Make it so. Star Trek with Aaron and Polly is a production of IOMGeek.com. Have a question or comment? Hailing frequencies are open at 972-763-5903. Tribble wrangling provided by Triskelion Trays. No troublesome tribbles. Mr. Aponte's wardrobe provided courtesy of Garrick's Clothiers, conveniently located on the promenade. 